So this is my lovely wife, Kelly, and uh, she's going to be helping me out tonight. And uh, we're here in week three of our series called Family. And basically, like we've been saying all along, that we have this lovely graphic up on the screen. And it's the reason we chose it is because it's so perfect. It's just this beautiful picture, and it's just so nice and family-like. And it's like we look at it, and it's like, oh, man, that just gives me the warm fuzzies inside. But, but when we think about our family, it's kind of the opposite of that, right? There's brokenness. There's things that have fallen apart. There are not beautiful pictures like that that are just so put together and nicely framed in our lives. That's just the reality. And so what I just started to sense, just honestly from being uh, just somebody that prays with people a lot, that that hears people's stories a lot, I, I just started to feel over the summer like we need to talk about family because there's so much hurt, there's so much brokenness in many of our lives because of family and what's happened in our families. And so tonight, we are going to talk with you guys about marriage. Uh, I spoke about being a dad. Kelly spoke about being a mom last week, did a great job. And tonight, we want to talk about being a married couple. Now, many of you guys in the room are married, and that's awesome. And so we hope you're going to get a lot out tonight. Many of you guys uh, are just recently married. We had six couples that got married in the last several months. And Joey and Jess are here as Mr. and Mrs. Lucci, which is so exciting. And so welcome back to that. But we also have a ton of you guys where marriage is not even on your radar yet, right? I mean, you're just thinking like, what am I going to, why are you wooing about that? That's not a good thing. It's not good, bro. Chill, all right? That's why it's not on your radar. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it is, it is just not really in your future. You're just not thinking that way so much. Or maybe you're hoping, but it just hasn't happened yet. And maybe you're praying like, God, let it happen soon, but it hasn't happened yet. And so you're just kind of like, oh, why am I here tonight? Well, I'll tell you why you're here tonight. I think you're here tonight because the best time to learn about marriage is actually before you get married. The best time to learn what we're going to talk about tonight is before you get there. Because once you get there, things get intense quickly and things can happen quickly. And so if you go in prepared and ready, then, man, you're going to have a way, way better marriage. Uh, When I was in college, I got a phone call from my mom. I was up at college. and She called me and she said, Doug, this year at the Christmas service, we want to do a handbell choir. Okay, so that means you got a bunch of people who have these handbells and they play them. And she says, now, we have all these great musicians, but we're, we're down some people. Would you be willing to help? And I was like, no, that's like the lamest thing in the whole world. Never, right? And so she's like, no, please, please, dog, please. And she starts guilting me. And she's like, look, when your grandfather died, I was four, right? When <laughs> grandfather died, someone bought these bells in his memory. And I was thinking, but if I play them, he can't hear them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the point, right? Okay. But still, so she's going, and then she says this. She says, you only have one note. And I was like, one note? I can handle one note, okay? And so she gets me the sheet music. It's all the sheet music. And I got, I'm reading everybody's parts, and I'm trying to figure this all out, right? And, and, and I should have prepared, right? But I didn't prepare. I was like, ah, I'll worry about it once I, I get home off break. I'm doing the middle of finals. So I get through finals. I get home. I got like five days till the Christmas service. I, eh, I'm just chilling with my friends. And day after day goes by. I'm not preparing. So we get there, and it's that night. And I'm like, all right, it's just one note. I didn't really prepare, but it's just one note. How hard could it be? And so I'm following along. And everybody, these are like big honking bells. I don't know what you're thinking of. These are big honking bells. You got to hold them. And when you're not playing, you hold them up, like rest them on your shoulders because they're that heavy. And so everyone's sitting there, and we're resting on our shoulders, and all these amazing musicians around me are glinging and glonging and all this amazing stuff and man I started to get a little bit nervous because we're like halfway through the song and I was a little bit lost in the music and then I'm thinking wait did I miss my one note and then I'm hearing applause out in the crowd realizing the song is over and I had missed my one 
note. And then I started to realize that if anyone, for whatever reason, was watching just me the whole time, they just saw me standing there holding the stupid bells on my shoulders, right? Now, the reason I messed up, the reason that was a failure was because I had not prepared. I had not gotten ready. I just thought when I get there, when I'm in the heat of it, I'll be ready. How hard could it be? And I think, guys, it's, it's often what happens with marriage. We think, all right, when I get there, right, I'll read a book once I'm married. I'll, be, I'll read a book. I'll do some marriage counseling. That's all good stuff. But, man, I can tell you this. For many of you guys who are younger tonight and it's not quite on your radar yet, man, you will be so much better off if you will pay attention tonight and other times when you have the opportunity be able to say, okay, I'm not there yet, but I want to be ready and prepared when that time comes. So tonight, we're going to talk about one thing. We're going to talk about a huge problem that we believe exists in marriage. Of course, it doesn't exist in our marriage because our marriage is perfect. No, that's, that's not true. I want to say that up front, that um, we are up here talking about marriage by the grace of God. Um, we love our marriage. We enjoy being married to one another. We have a lot of fun. We enjoy our kids and all that. But we are not perfect. Um, we never want to portray, like, oh, just be like us. Like, we're learning. We're growing. We're you know, God's still doing a lot in us. And so we want you to let, want to let you guys know that up front. And, and, and yes, what I'm going to talk about tonight is a problem in our marriage and has been a problem I've seen in my own heart big time. And so if you're here tonight going, all right, what am I going to get out of this? And is this just going to kind of be like a seminar on marriage? And no, we want you to walk out of here with one thing to do. And if you're single or you're dating or you're, you know, kind of thinking marriage or you're still real far away or if you're in the middle of it or you, some of you guys have been married longer than the weekend. You're like, get off the stage. Let me talk, right? But, but what I want to say is that, man, what we're giving you tonight I hope will be very practical and you can take it. And if you begin applying this tonight when you walk out of this room, when this one single thought we want you to get by the end of this night, I think your marriage will really improve. And I think if you're not married yet, you'll have potential to have an amazing marriage. So we want to talk with you guys tonight about selfishness, because I think selfishness is one of the biggest problems in marriage today, right? Selfishness is one of the biggest reasons marriages are falling apart and failing all over the place. And you know what? I think every single one of us agree with that statement about our spouse, right? Right? We don't see that so much in the, did you nod? She nodded. Um, we don't see that so much in ourselves, but it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that Doug, do talk about selfishness because, man, my wife needs to hear this, right? My, my husband needs to hear this because they are so selfish. No, no, no. Let's look at our own hearts tonight and realize the selfishness in our own heart. Um, I mean, you guys are thinking, yeah, man, he, he always decides where she eat, where we eat, and she always decides what movie we watch, and he's always, you know, deciding how we spend the money, and she's always stealing the covers, or he's always stealing the covers, and whatever it might be. We have these selfishness issues in our hearts, and, and they're tearing our marriages apart. And sometimes they're the silliest things. I mean, honestly, the four or five examples I just named are silly things, and yet they cause very real and hurtful fights, don't they? One of the things that I saw this in myself over these last 13, and 13 years and almost a month now of being married to Kelly is um, I, she, she's an early riser. I, I like to stay up late, and so she goes to bed a little bit earlier than I do. And so I'd, I'd come upstairs, and I'd be all ready for bed, and i you know, jump in bed. And I, I'm kind of like a long getter-to-better, and so I like kind of have to like turn over 8,000 times, and i got to get my proximity to the edge of the bed so I don't fall off, and you know, get perpendicular to the edge, and I'm very strange. And so I have to get everything ready, and you get the right temperature. you got the blankets on the right way and the right thing and the right angle, and socks, no socks, not sure. Okay, I got, finally got that all figured out. Right. 
And then it's like when I'm all set and I'm ready and I'm just chilling, and then she, she looks over at me and opens her eyes, and I think she's going to tell me how great I am and how much she loves me, and she says, is the back door locked? And, I'll, and she says that even sexy. I'll admit that. But, but is, is, the, is the back door locked? And so I'll tell you this. For like, I'm telling you, for like 11 years of my life, 11 years of my life, I was, like, furious at that question. Now, you might say, Doug, why didn't you just check if the back door was locked before you came upstairs? Well, I'm not that smart. But, but eventually, like, I started to learn. But I'll tell you what. Over the last few years, okay, like, God's begun to change something in my heart where when that question comes up, it's not an instant fight. It's not an instant, why didn't you do this before I got perpendicular to the end of the bed? You know what I mean? All that, right? It's just, okay, I realize that, okay, yes, while that question is annoying, the reason I'm reacting to it like I am, love you, um, is because of my selfishness. It's because of my issues. It's because of my heart problems. And you know what? If you are already married, then you know all the ways this works out in your marriage, right? And many of you guys will look at me right now, like, and you're laughing at the story I'm telling because it's funny to you. And for 11, 12 years, it was infuriating to me. And that's the thing. The, the silly little things in our marriages... Guys who are single, the silly little things that one day will be the thing in your marriage to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. It's unbelievable. And so tonight, man, imagine if we begin to talk about selfishness. We begin to see it for what it is. We begin to say, okay, I'm not going to allow this to destroy a relationship. I just have to believe that out of all the couples that have ever been divorced, if they would handle this one single situation, this one issue in their lives differently, I have to think that there would be way less divorce. If they were just to say, okay, I'm going to look at the selfishness in my own heart, and I'm going to deal with it the right way. And so I think there's a huge deal, because if you, if you and I don't see the selfishness in our own heart and deal with it, then we will have a miserable marriage or a broken marriage. It's going to end up one way or the other. And so I would encourage all of us, married people in the room, people who will one day be married, let's get this down. Let's see what God's word has to say about this. If you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, we're so glad that you're here. We love that you're here. You are more than welcome in this place. You may not believe like we do. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But I think you want to have a great marriage too. I mean, that's just like a no-brainer. We want to have good marriages. And so what we're going to say tonight, I think could really impact you. And as we look at the Bible, maybe you don't even believe the Bible, but as we look at it, as we look at what it has to say, I think it could really impact you. And I think beyond that, you're going to hear something really, really exciting as we get toward the end of the message. So let me kind of let you know what's going on here, and then we're going to look at some verses, okay? The verses we're going to read tonight, Paul wrote to the people in this place called Philippi. He wrote this letter. I remember I told you that a few weeks ago. The, the Bible were not books. They were letters written out to specific people that Paul knew and wanted to get a specific message across. And what he was trying to do was talk with the people about how they interact with each other, okay? So this, these verses are not specifically marriage verses, all right, we've done a couple of these messages before in the past, and we don't want to just repeat what we've done before with some of those messages that specifically came out of those marriage verses. But I'll tell you what, Paul is, is saying, look, in your relationships, this is how you should interact. And I'll tell you what, the most important earthly relationship you have is with your spouse. It's not with your kids, it's not your friends, it's not even your parents. It's your spouse, the most important one. So if we need to learn how to get this right, what Paul's about to tell us, it needs to start in our marriage. And so I'm going to read a few verses here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Kelly's just going to stand here for the message just because she's pretty. Um, 
But here it goes. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by, okay, now I want to pause there, right? Here's what Paul's saying. He's building it up. He's saying, look, and I want to say this exactly to you and to I tonight, okay? I want to say this. He's saying, if God has changed your life, that's what all that means, everything we just read. If God has changed your life, if you got any encouragement from being united to Jesus, if you have any comfort from his love, I would say we have comfort in his love. I'd say that some of us feel close to Jesus. If, If any common sharing in the spirit, if we have tender and compassion, right? He's saying, okay, if God's changed your lives by any of these different things, then here's what you should do. And then he says this, he goes on to say. Being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. And so all that we have in Jesus, all that he has purchased for us by his sacrifice is our motivation to now live differently. And that living differently carries over into treating each other differently than we would normally if we didn't have Jesus in our lives. And so Paul is saying that since you have these things, be of one mind, be unified. And a really simple way of of saying that is to say that we're on the same page, that we have the same purpose, that we have the same goal. And it's so important, especially in the context of marriage, that we have one purpose and one goal. You know, when a husband and wife don't have the same goals, there's a lot of conflict. Um, When Doug and I are in the car together, we do not have the same goal. Uh, We do not have the same purpose. It doesn't matter what time of the year it is. We're always opposite of each other. He turns down the heat. I turn up the heat. Same with the air conditioner, only the other way around. He turns up the air conditioner, I turn down the air conditioner. He makes the music really loud, I make it really quiet. He puts on country music. Uh. (laughs) Not really. Not really. It's okay. I'm done. done. (laughs) He puts on striper. I change it to Phil Wickham. He wants to get there fast, I want to get there safe. And so we are not on the same page. And honestly, as small and little as that sounds, like in the car is where we seem to have our most conflict. Now that's a small thing. But in the big picture of life, husbands and wives need to be on the same page. They need to have the same goal. And so what is that goal that we have as husbands and wives? Well, the goal is that in every relationship, most importantly within the context of marriage, that our lives glorify God, and they point to Jesus by the way that we treat each other. And so the question tonight is, well, how is Paul telling us to treat each other? As he says in verse 3, then he says, all right, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I mean, just just imagine it, right? Like, Like, just imagine taking that one verse and in our marriages and our dating relationships, even just in our regular relationships. Imagine being able to say, okay, that's the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I mean, I think inside marriage, you know, this is very practical, right? If we would just begin to look, because I think a lot of the issues that we have in our marriages is because we're doing them out of selfish ambition, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm going to react this way because, and I'm going to do this because, right? And so it's all about selfishness. It's all about what I deserve. And so I think we get real practical with it, man. And 
And, and sometimes it stings. It's, it's hard. I'm not saying it doesn't cost anything. I'm not saying it doesn't, you know, it's not something that you look at and, and would naturally say, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. But in, in, in response, and what we're going to see toward the end of the message is that when we're willing to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that there's a reward for that. Mm-hmm. That there's something we'll get. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But just think about not doing anything out of selfish ambition. I mean, this is, I mean, just practically in, in my head, this is me going to the freezer and, and seeing that there's ice cream and, and yelling to Kelly, hey, you want some ice cream? And her saying, sure. And then opening it up and realizing that there's only enough for one person, right? And so at that point, I think the go-to move is, is you eat it and blame the kids. No, uh, you, <laughs> you dish her out some ice cream and you just tell her you're in the mood for broccoli and you bring some broccoli in, you know, and you just kind of go that way, you know? But, but, but seriously, just, just the little things, just, just saying, okay, I'm not going to do anything out of selfless ambition and, and vain conceit. I mean, what does vain conceit say? It says, I'm better, right? It says, I'm more important. My way is more important. You know how many times Kelly and I have had a, an argument, you know, something that we just couldn't agree on. And by the end of the argument, it's like, you don't remember what you were originally arguing about. You just had to be right. You had to prove that your way was better and that you were smarter and more intelligent and that you could, you know, construct and craft a more convicting argument. It's just simply vain. What is that worth? I don't even, seriously, you're at the end of the fight. You're like, how did this start? I have no idea. That's completely vain. And so, so Paul sounds, okay, don't do anything out of that vain conceit. I mean, for those of us in the room who are married or in a dating relationship even, just imagine what our relationship would look like if we lived that way. And again, I don't always do this. So again, I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal here. But imagine how awesome your marriage would be. Imagine how much you would enjoy your time together. If you're just simply to say, okay, nothing I do, nothing I do, by God's grace, by his strength, will be done out of a selfish heart or this vain conceit. So we look at the next part and we find what to do instead. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So much of our culture walks around with a sense of entitlement, right? This attitude that these are my rights and this is what I deserve. And the truth is that there is nothing more explosive than two people coming into a marriage with their list of what they think they're entitled to. No, that is just the fastest way to destroy a marriage because there is no way that your husband or your wife are going to fulfill all those things that you think that you're entitled to. And the truth is, it's completely the opposite of what these verses are telling us to do. And I think sometimes our attitude is, well, if you treat me bad, I'm going to treat you bad. You know, if I wake up in the morning and you have an attitude, I'm just going to give you that attitude right back. You know, if you forget to take the garbage out, I'm just going to forget to cook dinner. Sorry, I just forgot. Um, but if you treat me well, I'm going to treat you well. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a blow for blow. It's back and forth. It, it all depends on how the other person is treating you. But Paul's saying in this verse, he's saying, don't even put somebody on the same level as you. Instead, treat them above yourself. And the word value in that verse, in another translation, instead says count. Count others above yourself. And why is that important? Because I think the point of this verse is not if they are worthy. I think the point is count them as worthy. Count them as more valuable. And the reason why this is so important for us to get is because there are going to be times in your marriage where you're going to feel like your spouse doesn't deserve for you to treat them this way. 
Maybe because they in some way disappoint you or hurt you. You know, there is nobody who's going to see your flaws and your shortcomings like your spouse will. And so there's going to be times that you let each other down. That is just the way that it is. And so these verses are saying to us, instead of treating them how they deserve, treat them like they don't deserve. Count them as worthy. And in order to be able to do that, we need to really walk in a place of humility. Because that's a hard thing to do. When you feel like your husband or your wife is not treating you well, to be able to go out of your way to treat them above yourself, I mean, that takes so much humility. And the truth is, is that nothing humbles us like knowing that Jesus has treated us not like we deserve. And Jesus has counted us worthy when we weren't worthy. And he has shown us love and grace and compassion when we've done absolutely nothing to earn it. So how do we count, how do we value each other above ourselves? And I just want to address something that Kelly said, which I think was so great. And I think for those of, of us who have seen the heartbreak of affairs and adultery and stuff like that, I think what Kelly said is so powerful is no one sees your flaws like your spouse, right? And, and I just, this is slightly off topic, but I feel like, man, this could have the power to save some marriages down the road. What, what the, the lie we believe, the lie we believe when we start to head down a road of adultery or, or going after someone that's not our spouse is, oh, they never come at me like my spouse does. Mm-hmm. They never point out that failure. They never point out, we never argue. We, it just, everything's so great. Well, that's because it's a surface relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, you get that? Like, once you got like, let's say you left your spouse and got into the relationship with that person that at the office or whatever, that everything's so surfacy and great, you would have the same issues. You'd bring in all your junk, and that person would bring in all their junk, and you'd have the same exact issues. And so I just, I think as we talk about seeing the flaws in each other, we have to realize that we have a tremendous opportunity to grow together. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a tremendous opportunity to be able to say, okay, I see your flaws, and you see mine. Now let's work on them together and grow together rather than just destroy the whole thing and blow it up because of some surfacey, stupid flirtation thing that's, listen, not even real, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next part says, not looking to your own interests. So he says, okay, rather than looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Look to the interests of the others. You know what this means? I mean, just real simply, look outwardly. Mm-hmm. Look outwardly. We're great at looking inward. Right? We're great looking like Kelly just said, you know, a minute ago, like we so often respond badly because they responded badly to us or whatever. You know, we're great looking inwardly and looking at, wait, he just did that to me or she just did that to me. And so I'm just going to go right back at them. And that's inward, guys. That's inward, right? And we struggle with that. But he says, okay, I want you to begin looking outward. Begin looking to the needs of your spouse. Begin looking to the needs of your boyfriend or girlfriend or that person in this relationship with you. And then this next verse I just absolutely love. It says in verse five, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Just think about that for, for a second. That, that Jesus, when he walked around here with us 2,000 years ago, when he walked among people, he had a mindset. Like his mind was fixed a certain way. And I tell you, it wasn't fixed on selfishness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fixed on what he deserved. It wasn't fixed on what he was owed or how he was treated. He had this certain mindset. And, he, and this is what Paul's trying to tell us. Look, have the same mindset Jesus had. 
Have your mind set on the same thoughts, the same things. If Jesus were walking around today, what would he be thinking? Think like that. Well, what was he thinking? Well, let's look. In the next several verses, we'll find out. It says in verse 6, who being in very nature of God. So we're talking about Jesus, all right? He says, okay, have the same mindset that Christ Jesus did, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now let me kind of pull these verses apart a little bit for you. Okay, basically what he's saying here is, all right, the mindset Jesus had was this. He was completely God. He was completely God. Now, this is the part that's a little strange, okay? And we, we start to kind of struggle a little bit with this. But, but when, when I say the name Jesus, most of us think of like this long-haired guy, looks like Jim Caviezel, right? We, we, we think of this person walking around on the earth. But I want you to think for a second that what this verse is saying in verse 6 is there was a time that Jesus wasn't walking around in a human body. Like, he was completely God. There was no man to him yet, if that makes sense, okay? There was no humanness to him. He was completely God, fully God. And again, I was, my, my, I was talking with Cade the other day about God, and, and he's saying, like, oh, man, that's a little bit confusing. How do we understand that? And, and I've said this to you guys before, too. Like, imagine an ant looking up at us and how we live life. Like, why are they going inside at night? You know, like, what, what's that big box they all watch at night? And like, you know, I mean, like, what is that? And what are they doing? And, and what's with those remotes in their hands? Like, imagine them trying to figure out the intricacies of us. You see how superficial I am, TVs and, and remotes. But, uh, you know, like, that's like us trying to look at God. I mean, that's honestly a bad illustration, but, but trying to look at God and saying, okay, let's figure him out, right? And we've always said this here, that it's a good thing we can't figure God out. If you can figure God out, you got a real small God. So, so here we are trying to understand this idea that God was completely equal with the Father and the Spirit. There was, Jesus had no humanness to him yet. He hadn't limited himself in that way yet. He hadn't decided to take on skin and bone like you and I, because that's a huge, huge step down for him. And so he says, okay, this was the mindset, who being in very nature God didn't consider that equality that he had with the Father and the Spirit He didn't consider that a big deal. He didn't consider that something to pursue. Instead, he did something else, and we're going to see that in verse 7. Verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And so what does it mean that he made himself nothing? Well, it doesn't mean that he ceased to be God. Like Doug said, he was fully God. Well, he was fully God when he was here. It doesn't mean that he ceased to be worthy I mean, every step that he took on this earth, he was worthy of praise. He was worthy of all the honor and glory. It means that he saw us. Okay, I'm going to step out. And we were here because of brokenness and because of sin. And he was here. And he saw and he knew that without him doing something, without him intervening, there was no way that we could ever get to where he was. So instead... He came down to where we are by becoming one of us so he could rescue us. That's what it means that he became nothing by being a servant. And I don't think that we can fully understand what it means that he left heaven for earth like we sang a few minutes ago. You know, I don't think that we fully get that he didn't just leave his place in heaven, but he came to serve those who hated him and those who despised him. 
I mean, Jesus knew going in how he would be treated. He knew the suffering that he would go through, yet he came anyway. There was no entitlement about Jesus. There was no my rights and this is what I deserve, although he deserved it all. What if this could be our mindset in marriage? What if our mindset could be not what you could do for me, but what I could do for you? What if every day we got up with this attitude of what can I do today that's going to in some way encourage my spouse or serve him? You know, I, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again, that we as wives, them as husbands, we have the greatest potential to be either their biggest encourager in life or their biggest criticism and discouragement. Having this mindset of what I can do to serve you on a daily basis, we're going to look for ways to, instead of being the critical discourager, to be the encourager who's going to lift them up. You know, I think that if we did this, there are certain things that would happen. I think that if we treated our spouse like this, I believe that the, the, the divorce rate would begin to drop. I believe that the joy and the satisfaction that we have within marriage would increase. And I have no doubt that people are going to take notice of this because this is so opposite to what they're used to. This is so opposite to how the world treats each other. You know, the mindset in the world, like we said, is entitlement. It's, I will treat you how you treat me, no more, no less. But they're going to see that there is something different. How far do we take this? Well, the question is, how far did Jesus take this? And the next verse shows us. So verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man. So here was God, fully God, no humanness yet. And here he is. He's come to earth. Like Kelly just said, humbled himself. Found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And even death on a cross. And as we pointed out in the past, there's that distinction. It doesn't just say he became man and he was put to death. Even death on a cross, right? Like, like this was God's perfect timing. It doesn't say even death on a table. That's what would have happened if he had come today, right? He would have been laid out on a table, lethal injection, it's over in five minutes. But he came at the time when capital punishment was at its worst, when, when you were tortured, when you were beaten, when you were whipped, when you didn't even look human anymore, and when you gave your life in such an amazing way. And so Jesus came to do that. And, and I think the way to understand what he did, like how far he was willing to go, was he held nothing back. Mm -hmm. He gave everything. He left it all out on the field. He didn't hang on to a little bit of who he was. He didn't hang on to a little bit of what he deserved. He just gave and gave and gave and served. And he got, listen, you think you and I have troubles? You think you, your, your spouse doesn't treat you right? He gets spit in the face. I mean, I, I would guess most of us who are married, our spouses probably haven't spit in our faces, probably, uh, hopefully haven't been physical, haven't abused us, haven't, I mean, Jesus went through all of that and kept serving. Mm -hmm. Jesus went through all that. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, even biblically, I think, you know, when, 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 you, when you're being abused and this and that, like, you know, sometimes it's the right thing to do to leave that relationship. But Jesus didn't do that. He just kept giving. He just kept serving. He just kept saying, I'm not going to go for what I deserve. I'm going to leave it all out on the field. I'm going to push everything I have into this relationship with you. And I think this is an amazing model. And Paul's saying, hey, have that 
mindset. Have that mindset. When you don't get back what you wish you got, when you don't get back what you think you're owed, have the mindset that you're going to continue to serve. You're going to continue to love. And you know what? I'm sure in, the, in 13 years of marriage that there have been times where this has you know, happened on both ways. Maybe there's, there's, I'm sure there have been times where Kelly's done something, she's served in some way, and I haven't appreciated or even have treated her wrongly in the midst of that, and she's continued to serve, and probably vice versa, though she's better than me. But um, probably that's been a reality. And probably for you, that has been a reality in your marriage. Or if you're not married, it will be one day. And you have a choice. You have a choice. Now, again, are there times maybe where, you know, things have happened to the point where you need to leave a marriage? Well, biblically, there's really, you know, very small room for that. But there is room for that. But you got to know God's speaking to you. And you got to know God's heart for that relationship. But here's what I think happens is I think we take that one little kind of, one little out Jesus gave us only in the midst of very extreme circumstances and we turn it in to a license to just run, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus, Paul here, saying be like Jesus, serve, give, keep on giving even when you're taking advantage of it. And let me say it this way too. Some of you guys are like, wait, so for the rest of my life I'm just gonna be taken advantage of? Well, here's why it's so important to marry somebody who's a follower of Jesus because mm-hmm. when you're both trying to serve each other, when you're both giving even when you're getting nothing in return, when you're both saying, okay, I'm going to leave it all out on the field, then you're going to have a great marriage. You're not going to get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And so as two followers of Jesus, you can keep moving forward and saying, let's just outserve each other. You guys will have the best marriage in the whole world. So we look here now for the reward, right? I said earlier that this costs something. It costs Jesus everything. It hurts sometimes. You feel unappreciated sometimes. You wish that they had responded differently sometimes maybe, but there is... A reward, and we see in verse 9, Kelly will talk about it. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So Jesus chose to temporarily lay aside his glory. And now, therefore, because of that, all the more glory is now his because of what he has done for us. Because he came for people who didn't deserve it and couldn't earn it and gave his life for them. He's brought sons and daughters, us, home as children. And here in these verses, we see this principle that we see throughout the Bible, that first comes humility, and then comes exaltation. We see it in several other places in the Word of God, that first we walk in humility before God and others, and then we see the reward of that. And if you and I, in our marriages, humble ourselves to serve, to look for ways to encourage and just go that extra mile for our spouse, our marriages are going to see the reward of that. They're going to be strengthened. The love for each other grows when you serve each other like this. Here's why this is so important. Because marriage is supposed to be a picture of something. See, marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and his love for the church to a lost world who are watching you and I, who pay attention to the way that you talk to each other and the way that you treat each other and the things that you do for each other. But the truth is that sometimes we don't look like that picture because of how we treat each other. We have a few wedding pictures in our bedroom, and um, there's this one picture where you don't see Doug's face, you just see a lot of hair, I promise. And his head is turned, and he, like, it's very cute. He has me dip down, and he's giving me a kiss. And Landon picked it up, and he goes, who's kissing mommy? (laughs) And I said, that's daddy. And he goes, that is not daddy. 
he has so much hair. And I said, no, I promise you, I assure you, that is your father. I have not married anybody else. It's daddy. And he said, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> Sometimes our marriages don't look like what it's intended to. But our marriages do begin to become that picture of Christ and the church when we start loving and serving each other like Paul has talked about in these verses tonight. And Tim Keller says this, On earth, Jesus did not use his power to oppress us, but sacrificed everything to bring us into union with him. And this takes us beyond the philosophical to the personal and the practical. What we're talking about tonight is so practical. If God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that it approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. Marriage works. Marriage is strong. Marriages are great to the degree that we love and we serve each other like Christ loves and has served us. And so just to speak to you in the room for a minute who your spouse um, is not a Christ follower and you're thinking, I don't know how this can work if I'm the only one that's doing it. And if you can go home and you can first ask God for that humility to be able to do this and remembering that this is what he's done for you, you're going to give your unbelieving spouse a powerful picture of the gospel. As you begin to serve them and not look for the return, but just you do it out of the love that Christ has shown you, you're going to display for them what Jesus has done for them. And maybe by doing that, win them to Christ. So I just encourage you to keep praying for your spouse, but then in action, go home and start to treat each other, them, how we talked about tonight. But for all of us, what we want you to take away from this message is if you want a strong marriage that points people to Jesus, serve your spouse selflessly like Jesus has served you. I just want to talk as that kind of bottom line just hopefully sinks in a little bit. Just, just to those of us in the room who... Um, are in marriages that are hurting, for those of us who have been divorced, for those of us whose parents have been divorced, for those of you guys who've been in rough relationships, I just want to say that there's just tremendous grace for you, tremendous grace. I don't, we don't want you to walk out of here tonight feeling like a failure, like, oh, I messed this up. And I, I mean, is, is there a place maybe for asking forgiveness of, of your spouse or your former spouse? Maybe. I mean, let God lead you in that. But just know that the grace of God is huge, that he loves you passionately, that he doesn't look at you like a failure tonight, and that he desires to put the pieces of your life back together. And it's just grace, man. I mean, the reason Kelly and I are married after 13 years, and I think every married couple needs to realize this, the reason you're married, if you've been married for any length of time, is because of the grace of God. Like, he's kept your marriage. And for those that have fallen apart, he wants to be able to bring healing to your heart. He wants to put your life back together. I've seen, we've seen marriages put back together. We've seen people who were divorced come back together when they both got their hearts uh, in, in the hands of Jesus. And so nothing is outside of the realm of possibility. But we want you to know the tremendous grace of God tonight. And what we see in scripture, though, is just this pattern. That if we can serve our, our spouses selflessly like Jesus served us, then, man, there are going to be some amazing, awesome, beautiful marriages. Do you guys know God's idea for marriage was a good thing? Like he wants it to be great. 
He doesn't want you to be miserable in marriage. He doesn't want you to be stuck in marriage. I hate, like I have some friends or relatives, you know, and all they ever say about marriage are just jokes about how they're a slave and the ball and chain and this and that. And it's like, man, enjoy your marriage. Have fun with it. It should be awesome. Is it hard? Yeah. There are tough days or there are rough seasons. Yes, yes, yes. But man, your marriage should be one of the greatest gifts that you have. And so tonight, as we've talked about this, as we've encouraged you guys, and then we've kind of given you guys a lot, but boil it down all to this one sentence. If you will begin, and, and, and those of you guys who aren't yet there, if you will serve your spouse selflessly like Jesus served you, then you will have an amazing, amazing marriage. So let me ask you a couple questions, then we're going to close. Question number one, for those of you guys who are married, and even if you're dating, let's, let's practice this, okay? How aren't you, how aren't you serving your spouse selflessly? Again, don't think about how your spouse isn't serving you selflessly. Look at your own heart for a minute. How are you not serving your spouse selflessly? What's going on? We're, we're all, I mean, I, I can tell you things in my own life, okay, where I'm not doing this well, okay? So we're not putting you down. Don't feel bad. But let's have great marriages. So, so what is it in your heart? What is it that you're not doing? And then I'll just flip the question right around for you. What can you do to serve your spouse selflessly? What can you do? to honor God within that relationship, to have a great marriage and have a marriage that points others to Jesus. What can you do? Now, for those of you guys who are fathers of Jesus, I just want you to think about that for a second. And for those of you guys who are not fathers of Jesus, I just want you to know tonight, this was a a message based on marriage. Obviously, we talked a lot about human relationships and that, but I hope you saw in the middle of all that what's called the good news. Okay, you know what the good news is? It's this. You and I were broken. We were sinful. And Jesus, who didn't have to do a thing about it, came for us, gave himself, died the most brutal and gruesome death imaginable because of his love for you. Do we want your marriage to be great? Yes. But more than that, we want you to know that good news, that something's been done for you, that you could never do for yourself, that you could never earn. And so tonight, as we've talked about marriage, as we want to serve each other selflessly like Jesus served us, as we're aiming at great families, we want you to know that a Savior's come, and he loves you deeply, and he wants you to be his. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have come for us. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't send an angel to try to work things out down here. You didn't try and work your way out of coming for us, God, but that that you took on human flesh and you came and you served. And we're so grateful for that, God. And we thank you, Jesus, that not only did you do that, not only did you come to save and rescue, but you also gave us a pattern for our relationships. And one of those most important is marriage. And so, God, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for showing us what it is to serve selflessly, even when we're not thanked, even when we're not given back what we deserve or what we think we deserve. And so, God, I just pray for everybody in this room. I pray for all the current marriages that, God, you would just infuse them with this selfless love. God, infuse my marriage, infuse my heart with more selflessness, God, with more love like I see Jesus have for me. I pray for all the singles in this room, all those that are in dating relationships, that, God, this would be the the people they are, that they wouldn't wait, but they'd be getting ready now to be those kinds of spouses. And I pray for everybody in the room that 
has come either out of a broken marriage or his parents have, have had broken and failed marriages or even those that have stayed together but have just been miserable. God, we just, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you that nobody has to walk out of here feeling like a failure, but we can walk out of here tonight confident in the love of God and confident that he can continue to work on our hearts and lead us to great marriages. So we're grateful to you, God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you spend a second praying about those two questions? How aren't you selflessly serving? your spouse like Jesus served you, and how can you? What changes need to be made? What can you do to practically serve your spouse like Jesus served you? And then if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to respond to the good news tonight, what's been done for you, then I want to give you an opportunity just to pray and look to Jesus now as your Savior. And you can just pray something like this if you want to, just quietly in your heart. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for becoming a man walking the earth, giving yourself, being put on a cross, leaving it all out on the field, giving everything, holding nothing back so that I could be yours, so that my sin could be removed, so that I could know life and joy. And I just accept this gift of salvation from you today, God. And I accept you as my Savior. And I ask you, God, to just continue to show me how real you are and keep me close to you. Amen.